You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. We're, so Boston is one of those races that, that you, have to, um, you have to qualify for. And uh, you can't just show up and say, hey, I want to be a part of this. And so we, um, my wife and I had the opportunity to go down um, in 2013, April 2013. And so I just wanted to explain a couple of things. I think everybody would know this morning that 2013 in Boston was the year of the bombings. And so um, we obviously were, were, were there during that time. And um, we had a friend, I, I shouldn't say a friend, but a, a couple in our church uh, in Sylvan Lake. They, they had shared with me before I left, and they said something um, along the lines of like, you know, God has a real purpose in you going to Boston. And for me, it was like, yeah, I've worked really hard. I'm going to go run a race, and it's going to be awesome. And, uh, but I don't think, obviously, when they shared that with me, they, they knew, obviously, what was going to take place that day in Boston. But they did know that God wanted to do something in mine and in Kyla's heart. And um, I... I I do like to say that just because we, um, it's not like we weren't seeking after God and going after him uh, before we went to Boston, because in some ways it could be like, this was our moment of revelation and we knew we needed to do something for the Lord. We had been obviously actively pursuing God and actively serving him and actively loving our community beforehand, and yet God still ignited something in both mine and Kyla's hearts for the future that he had for us. And I think that's what's really important to mention this morning. So the morning of the race, I got up. Everything was normal. I got up. I kind of did my pre-race routine. Um, as some of you may know, if you're into any sort of athletics or competition or just, you know, uh, that sort of stuff, uh, often there's kind of a rhythm. There's a, a plan of what you're going to eat and how you're going to, when you're going to wake up and all of those different things. And so I, uh, I, I, I got ready. Everything was normal. I listened to some worship music and just prepared my mind for the day and, and was ready. I remember getting to the, to the, to the race line and there's 25 other, 25,000 other racers around you, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Now, I know you guys in the UK, that's normal. But for us Canadian folks from a town of 11,000 people, you can walk down the street and maybe pass a few people in an hour, so to speak, right? Whereas here, it's like you could be saying hi every two seconds. And so the, that's not normal for me. And the race that I had run before, um, there was, you know, maybe 1,100 runners, whereas this was like shoulder to shoulder the entire race. And so I remember being at the start line and it just being like, this is it. Like this is this is everything that I have trained for. This is everything that I've given my whole uh, my whole heart for in this last little while. Obviously, up prior to this race, it was just it was my one focus. And as Kyla could attest, it was just it was it was what I was gave everything towards. And uh, and obviously, other people played a big big part in that, Kyla, um, feeding me really well during that time, and, and uh, I, had a, I had a coach that helped me train, and 
I had a chiropractor that kept me in line, and you know, I, I, I really, we really went all out on this, and uh, we were all in for, for this big race. And uh, after the race, or just before the race was over, I remember I had a goal, and uh, I remember coming around the corner, and I remember seeing Kyla, because uh, I knew exactly where she would be standing, and because we planned it out beforehand, because we had a friend that went there the year before, and uh, or two years before, and he um, didn't really know where his wife was standing, and so it was kind of like, where is she? And you know, in this particular race, you want to see that person that that's been there for you the whole time that you've been training. And so I remember coming around the corner, and I remember seeing Kyla there, and I ran kind of over to her, sort of, and it was just like there was this this whole kind of connection of like we did this. Here I am, we're, like, we're, I'm going to accomplish my goal, and I couldn't have done it without you. It was one of those amazing moments. And if any of you have been, you know, have really desired to accomplish something great, when you do it with other people and, and you succeed, it just feels so amazing. And so it was just such an amazing, amazing feel, feeling. And so after that, run through the finish line, accomplish my goal, and uh, there's a, a meeting area. And so in that meeting area is where all your family come and find you or scrape you off the sidewalk um, and, uh, and kind of take you to wherever you need to go. And, uh, and so I was in the one meeting area, you know, the, the big P for price. And uh, Kyla came over and we obviously had this time of just, just like of great joy together. And after that, we had come down with some friends. And so I had a, 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 another friend that was running the race as well, and his wife was with Kyla all day, as well as another friend from uh, Sylvan Lake that happened to be in Boston going to school. And so they were all together the whole time during, during the race and this entire event. And so it was only Kyla that came um, with me to, or to met me at the finish line. And after that, she and I were both going to walk back to where they were so that we could bring them with us afterwards. So Kyla, why don't you come and just share uh, this experience of walking. Thanks, Tyler. Hi. So um, I have to just say a couple things quickly. Um, prior to Boston, and for most of my life, uh, before our trip there, um, I had struggled with a lot of fear and had kind of overcome it in little layers, but still was, um, I'd say at that point, still really... Um, I weighed every decision based on the cost, the personal cost. So, like, I would say I would always say no first and yes second. Because I'd always say, no, that's not possible. That would cost too much money. Or no, that could be a risk to our family. Or no, that could be dangerous. Or no, that could be... Do you, you get my point? So um, leading up to Boston, I was kind of gripped with this worry of, what if we like get on the plane and we die and then our kids are left alone? And when I say it out loud, I know that sounds really silly because the actual likelihood of that happening is, is, is so small, but I was really scared that I was going to leave to do this fun thing and then my kids were going to be orphans. And so um, if you 
like Chris Tomlin, you'll know this song, but um, this was sort of a... Does anyone else have, like, songs that, like, mark a certain stage in your life? And it's like every time you hear that song, it's you're taken back to that place and that time. Well, this is my song for that season. And in the words, it's, Whom shall I fear? The God of angel armies. And it says, You hear me when I call. You are my morning song. Though darkness fills the night, I cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy underneath my feet. You are my sword and shield, though troubles linger still. Whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. My strength is in your name, for you alone can save. You will deliver me. Yours is the victory. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me. You get it. And then it goes on and it says, And nothing formed against me shall stand. You hold the whole world in your hands. I'm holding on to your promises. You are faithful. You are faithful. So leading, so I decided I wasn't going to ruin this trip for Julian and I um, by being afraid the whole time. And, and I really needed the presence of God to go with us. So... I started just declaring, I would sing this song and I would just declare it over my family that while I was away, he would be with my kids. He'd go before them and behind them and on either side of them. And as we left, he would go before us and behind us and on either side of us. And that he would save us. He would keep us safe. And keep in mind, I had no idea what was going to happen. This was completely, at the time, sort of irrational fear that I was just struggling with. But I just... I just kept declaring those words, and um, we had an awesome trip. Our trip leading up to and including the first part of Brace Day was perfect. I didn't struggle with fear. We chat, we, uh, we're, like Julian said, from a town of 11,000 people. We don't even have buses. And we, we figured out the subway system in Boston. Boston, I mean, we were awesome. We, we were so, I was so courageous. Anyway... So watching Julian accomplish his goal and cross the finish line in under three hours was amazing. I stood that day waiting for him to finish halfway between the locations of the two bombs with two other friends, one whose husband was also running, as Julian mentioned, and one from Sylvan Lake. This was the first time these friends had ever met. As soon as Julian finished, I rushed to the family meeting area, very, very excited to celebrate with him. In order to get there... Um, because there was so much area that was cordoned off for athletes only. So in order to get there, I had to walk like a 15 blocks around to get to the family meeting area, which was only an actual distance, about a block and a half away from the finish line. But it, there just was no direct route. They don't let you cross in front of the athletes. So... Um, and as Julian mentioned, our plan that day was... I would come and get him, and then we'd walk back to the finish line, and we'd watch our friend Al finish his race, and then we'd go back to the family meeting area with his wife and our friend, and we'd meet up with him. So um, I got to Julian, and we celebrated, and we talked about the race, and we had this just awesome moment, and, and, um, and, and he was just completely spent. He, had, he didn't have it in him to walk 15 blocks there and 15 blocks back. So we agreed that I would go back, watch Al finish with Carrie Ann, 
and then we would return and just come back and get Julian from the family meeting area. And um, so I left, and uh, I got about, I don't know, two-thirds of the way there, and I just, I, was, I remember standing at a street corner and just going, I can't go back. And it was just this weirdest, strange thing, like Carrie Ann was counting on me. She, she's not good with directions at all. And um, she needed me to get her back to the family meeting area to see Al. So I kind of stood there frozen thinking, I can't go back. But I know that I agreed I'd go back. So I, I called our friend, um, Dean, who was from Sylvan, and asked him if he would, if he would escort Carrie Ann back to the area for me. And he said yes. So then I had a piece about staying. And I went, and I went back to Julian. And we just hung out and we waited and we actually waited quite a while for Al to finish because he, a marathon is 26 miles and he had a calf cramp at mile eight. So he finished the race um, much slower than he expected to, but he finished. Um, and Al finished about nine minutes before the bombs went off that day. And so, um, yeah, so that when, when the bombs went off, like I said, we were about a block and a half away. And um, we didn't know the exact location of the bombs. We knew something horrible had happened. Um, we knew that our friends, well, we didn't know where they were. We, we, we just didn't know. We didn't know, did Al cross the finish line and collapse and was right in the middle of the bombs? Or, or was Carrie Ann okay because she was so close to the finish line? And, um, and so we, yeah, we just stood there. We, we just stood there kind of frozen because we couldn't leave until we knew our friends had found each other. And, and we couldn't... Um, yeah, we couldn't do anything to help them either, so we just sort of stood there. And as we stood there, um, we just saw one emergency response vehicle go by after another. It was just constant. And, um, and then we saw the black bomb squad truck, and then we saw this black helicopter floating in the sky. And I remember looking at Julian going, this is really bad. We should go. And he's like, yeah, we should. And then we just stayed there. Because we couldn't leave our friends. Like, we had this, we just knew we had to make sure they got back together. So, um, so that was, that was scary. In that moment, we didn't know exactly what had happened. We didn't know, um, where it was safe. Like, we didn't know if there was more coming, right? And so we just, yeah, I just remember praying, God, take me home to my kids. Okay, so through a series of conversations with Carrie Ann after the race, um, you know, she, she had been standing there waiting for Al to finish. And when you're, when you're at the finish line of the Boston Marathon and you have to use the toilet, you can't just like zip somewhere really quick and zip back. And it's not a five minute deal, it's like a half hour trip to find a place to use the toilet and then get back to your spot. So when I left the finish line, she's like, I kind of need to use the toilet. And I'm like, I think you shouldn't. 
because you might miss Al finishing, and that would be awful. So it was about an hour and a half that she stood there waiting for Al to finish and needing to use the toilet. So being that she was at the finish line with a complete stranger, she did not feel comfortable asking him to wait while she used the toilet. So she kind of soldiered on, and, and they just left the finish line area pretty quickly after Al had finished um, instead of going to use the toilet. And that morning, the toilet, that, this is a personal, I understand, but it's part, it, may, it needs to be said. So um, the toilet that we used was at Starbucks, which was directly beside the restaurant where the second bomb went off. And so um, I'm more than confident that that invisible wall that I experienced at that street corner was God saying, don't go back. Because if, we had, if I had gone back, surely Carrie Ann would have been comfortable enough with me to say, hey, now that Al's finished, let's just quickly use the toilet before we go to the family meeting area. And so we would have been dangerously close to that second bomb. And even if we hadn't been injured, we would have witnessed really horrible things. And so um, I do feel with everything in me that God spared me that day from something really horrible. And um, there's a lot more details to share. There's other things like where we stood and things like that that I could share to bring that home. But what I really want to focus on is that um, coming home from Boston, having already been someone that struggled with fear, my battle kicked into high gear. And, um, and that's kind of a whole other story of its own. But in praying about what happened that day, I really, I felt like I had a revelation from the Lord, and this isn't one of those happy ones. It was, had I perished that day, had I not made it home that day, I really believe that I wouldn't have fulfilled God's purpose in my life. And I felt very, very strongly that that would have been because I'd allowed fear to dictate my decisions. So um, I made up my mind in that process uh, that I didn't want to stand before God and explain to him why I didn't do what he had called me to. And anyone who's married knows if I'm being held back by fear, then he's being held back by fear. Not his own fear, but my fear. Because I wasn't courageous enough to step out into certain things. And so I really didn't want to be responsible for Julian not getting to walk out his God-given destiny as well. So suddenly, with that revelation, all those things that had held me back and kept me from living courageously really held no importance anymore. In fact, everything of earthly significance held no value. I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't, I just didn't care. <laughs> um, it just, and part of that shock, I get that, but all of a sudden, I was willing to just lay it all down and just say, God, you can have all of our money, you can have all of my comfort, you can have all of me, because I can't bear the thought of standing at the throne and not having done what he wanted me to do. So, um, yeah. So I'm convinced that if it weren't for Boston, we wouldn't be here today. In order to come here, we had to sell 
most of our worldly possessions. We had to leave our family and friends, our community, like the place that I had basically grown up in my entire life. And we had to make a decision to live by faith instead of hanging on to a steady and predictable paycheck. And all of this would have been impossible for me before Boston. So, now we're living out the scripture that God gave to Julian when he proposed to me, which is Matthew 18, that none shall perish. We've given up a lot of earthly comfort and security in pursuit of this great challenge, but we've already experienced such peace, provision, comfort, and security in him, and it far outweighs anything that this world can offer. So now I intend to be missional in everything I do so that when the day comes for me to meet the Lord, I won't be grieving, but I'll be rejoicing. We have some friends in Sylvan Lake who, um, nine years ago or so, God told them that they needed to open up an indoor BMX and skate park in Sylvan Lake. And Julian worked with them for a season while we were there. And um, they poured all of themselves into that place, including, I'm sure by now it's a million dollars or more, into keeping that place alive so that there's a safe place for kids in Sylvan Lake. And it's, I struggled with that for a long time. I wondered how they could give up so much of their personal finances um, for other people's kids, for something that didn't really seem to be thriving. And one day God showed me or reminded me of the scripture from Matthew seven nineteen about storing up treasure in heaven. And I asked him, well, what does that look like for Darcy and Sue? Because they've, they're not going to have a pot of gold in heaven. What does that look like, Lord? And I know that our greatest treasure is just being with the Lord. But what he showed me that day was the silhouettes of just an army of souls. They were just, it was a white background and black silhouettes and people, just an army of people walking hand in hand. And they were walking towards Darcy and Sue. And what I believe that meant was that was people that had entered the kingdom of heaven because of them. So that made me, that helped me make sense of why they were willing to give up so much. But in that season, I still wasn't willing to do it. Now, I think I am. Well, I know I am. We're here. So I pray at the end of my life that I'll get to stand there and see that army of souls like they will. There's absolutely no way that I can get through what I have in two and a half minutes. And so... You know, again, we share this because it was this, this fresh reminder that I think for even for us, a fresh reminder of what really matters in life. It's so, so easy to get caught up in just the stuff that, that the world sort of speak has to offer us and forget about what really, really matters. And that's why we were put on this earth to see people come to Christ. And, um, and so, you know, I don't always believe that God has to work through uh, tragedies, but as human beings, that seems like the time that he always gets our attention. 
when we really reflect and go, God, what am I doing? Is it exactly what you've called me to do? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And so, um, you know, this, this, this month as a church, we've been talking about being all in, and, and the whole idea of that is being all in for the kingdom. And when I was running that race, and prior to uh, the race in Boston, there I had a poster that said, all in for Boston. And I remember looking at that one day in my office in Sylvan Lake, and I thought, God, I need to be all in for your kingdom. And it just hit me so hard. And on that, on that poster is like 25,000 different names of people ran, that ran in that race. And, um, and I remember just going, God, I, I want my name to count. I want what I'm doing on earth to count. And, uh, and I, I was all in for this race. Would I, would I give the same for you in your kingdom? Would I lay everything down? Would I be a man that would just say, it doesn't matter what only, what matters is storing up treasures in heaven. And, uh, and I'm gonna just jump all over the place, but Jesus was all in, straight up. And he calls us to follow him. And, uh, you know, as a theme for our church, it's being all in this month, but it has to be a lifestyle. And I don't, I don't, stand before you, Kyla doesn't stand before you this morning and, and, and say, you know, look at all of the things that we did and now we're here and we've arrived. We don't boast in that, it's just that was the journey and we want to explain to you guys because we're still getting to know you a little bit of who we are and our, our lives and, and why we're here and, and the decisions that we make, uh, made and, and what we really value. And so, but being all in is about being a lifestyle. You know, when Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I just think so often we, we glance over that familiar verse and forget about the, the true meaning of that. And, uh, you know, I fall short and I think we all, we all fall short at times and yet that's our, my desires to be all in. In Hebrews 13, 14 to 16, um, there's a scripture and, uh, I'll just read it for you, and I think it might, if you f- go through a few slides, Chris, if you're still doing that, I don't know. If not, don't worry about it. But Hebrews um, 13, 14 to 16, it says, For here, and I'm, I think I'm reading out of the NIV, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. And then it's through Jesus. I love that line. It's through Jesus. Everything that we do has to be through Jesus. Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others for which, for which sacrifice God is pleased. You know, and, and as I read this passage, it's like there's two things if you break it down. It's that, that as followers of Christ, we believe this present reality will one day pass away. And then we will be with Jesus experiencing the fullness of his presence in heaven. And secondly, it brings our, uh, to our attention that we have a responsibility to do something between now and then. And I don't really like using that word responsibility. It seems very harsh in some ways. And yet, there's, 
that's the reality. We have a responsibility as followers of Christ. It's this whole idea that bringing his heavenly kingdom to earth through our lives, that's what it's about. So the, the writer of Hebrews in this passage says, this happens, bringing heaven to earth happens through sacrifice, or maybe another word would be selflessness. And um, I wish it said through convenience, or through ease, or through uh, just kind of coasting through life. But it's about sacrificing. And don't get me wrong, when I, when I share with, with people that don't know Christ, it's, it's a desire in my heart, it's a passion, I love to do it. It's not like, oh, I have to go and do this, this is a sacrifice, you know? But at the same time, it's this sacrifice to continually say, God, I'm pursuing you, I'm pursuing your heart, and I'm not pursuing anything else. He calls us to, to step out into what I've said before when I first arrived, into, into, into situations that are not safe. But in Christ, it is safe. It's the place that we want to be. And, uh, you know, I won't really focus on verse 15 this morning, this whole idea of letting, uh, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips to confess His name. Because that was, in a sense, our theme from last month, right? The first love, uh, abandoning God, spending time with God, identity in Christ, all of the different things, kind of uh, coming back to what really matters, and that's Jesus, and just being with Him. But linked to this is this amazing scripture. It says, and do not forget to do good and share with others. And this really good guy once said, we love the invisible by loving the visible. Do you remember that guy? Who was that? <laughs> this guy right here, last week. We love the invisible by loving the visible. And this particular passage just connects those two so well together. This whole idea of just last month was like just focusing on Jesus and getting back to that place. And then this month it's about loving the invisible and how we do that is by loving people. And so, and obviously Tyler shared a whole bunch of things with that. But it's like, and do not forget, it's like, it's like God knows us a little bit. And he knows that sometimes there's other things that are going to want to try and steal our time, that are going to want to get in the way of what really matters. And so, so the writer of Hebrews says, and don't forget, don't forget today. Don't forget when we leave this, these four walls of this building that there's people in our cities that don't know Jesus. Don't forget that. Let it haunt you, so to speak, because that's what really matters. Don't forget. Jesus said in John 8.12, I am the light of the world. Whoever, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then he says in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. And I sometimes read that and I thought, Jesus, are you confused? What's going on here? But I think it's just this, this beautiful reminder that it needs to be his light in us on display. And so going back to this passage of looking for a city that is to come. I recognize that, that, that 
that one day there, there will be this heavenly city that will come down and we will be a part of that with God in heaven. But, but, but that's not something that... I, it is something that's going to happen in the future, but it's something that can happen today. And so we, empowered by the Holy Spirit, bring His kingdom by actively creating environments for heaven to be on display on earth. We are, are called to go and create environments where the kingdom of God can come in power on earth. It's, that's our, it's a responsibility that we have to carry out. It's not good enough to simply just wait for heaven. It's not enough to just say, I want heaven on earth. We can talk about it all we want, but it won't happen. We need to get out there. He calls us to be active participants in creating an atmosphere for Holy Spirit to do His will through us. I think of the Boston experience, and I think of those guys. Obviously, I know it's the... I, I, I realize that it's the enemy that puts these ideas in their minds. This is not an attack on those two young men. It's not at all. And yet, they participated, in a sense, with the kingdom of darkness. And they went and they created an atmosphere of destruction... They created an atmosphere of fear. They created an atmosphere of pain and loss. I think when I came back from, from Boston and I, I was sharing with my church about that little boy and those two girls that lost their lives and the, the other individuals that their lives will never be the same. I, I remember just it, just, it just broke me, you know, that Kyle and I could walk away from there unharmed. I mean, obviously, there were some things that Kyla needed to work through. I just ran the race. I was through the, through the line before the, an hour before the, bo- before the bombs went off. Kyla was like in between the bombs that day. I mean, it's just, the reality for her was so much different than it was for me. But I remember just thinking about those families. And, and but, so it's like, the kingdom of darkness is trying to create environments for destruction. And so as believers, as followers of Christ, we're called to create environments where people would be able to come to Christ, that they would be restored, that they would know Him, that their families would be mended, that their kids would come home again, that their kids would come to know Christ, those that have fallen away, that, 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 that somebody that's really struggling would just be able to make it through the day because that's what they need. You know, there's just so many areas in our lives that, that, that we have this responsibility to create these environments so that, so that Jesus can have his way in people's lives. And I believe that we have that ability. It says in 1 Corinthians that, that we have the mind of Christ. We can think creatively and, not, and it not be about us. It's God putting those, those creative concepts and ideas in our heart. And so we can think creatively. We have the mind of Christ. And, uh, and so when we, when we have a heart for God and, and our mind is set on him, and, and on his creative thinking, it's like we are able to bring heaven to earth. And so, in Luke 5, the paralytic man that was lowered through the roof, what happened in that story is that, that this community came around this individual and they got creative that day. It was a jam-packed house, but they got creative. And what happened in that young man's life is that he left walking, right? They were creative. So I just skipped a whole bunch of stuff there, so that was good. I made up some time. And, uh, but they were creative. 
And God calls us to do this, to do the same thing. And I just really believe even looking at that story is like this prophetic declaration that God is ready to restore. He's ready to restore. Like, and I, I get it. I've prayed for a lot of people and haven't seen them healed. I've done a lot of things a few Sundays ago, going out, you know, just in Brighton and handing out brochures and people like basically looking at me like, like, what are you doing and why are you doing this? And, and just giving me the cold shoulder and everything that is really, really hard for me because I'm like relational. Like, I'm just a nice guy. I just want to hang out with you. Like, that's what I'm trying to do. And they're just like out of my face, right? And it, it's so, it's not easy. I, I get that. And yet, and yet I have to embrace that reality that Jesus is here to heal and restore today. And that's, I believe that's a prophetic statement for us to remember. And that our job is to be creative and bring people to Jesus. And, and I like this too. It says in Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So the way I look at it is like you can't go wrong. If you love Jesus and you want to serve him and you're going to go and be creative, his plan is going to prevail over yours anyways. So if you're wrong, his plan is still going to prevail. So why? what do you got to lose? So to speak. Anyways, and so God is calling us as well to just a deeper place of selflessness. And so uh, this guy that was brought to the feet of Jesus, that community had heaven as their heartbeat. And what they did that day, according to Hebrews 13, pleased God as they sacrificed for him. I don't think that would have been an easy thing to do that day. But they did it. And they went for it. I don't always know how to create environments that welcomes the display of heaven. But one thing I'm certain of is that we must go and practically, practically display the love of God. In whatever influence or fear, sphere of influence that you have. Uh, just going about your daily lives. I, more and more I believe that that is such a, a powerful way to display the love of God. I believe in doing events. I, de- I believe in doing things that, that will just maybe draw a crowd. I, but just those one-on-one, just daily living your life and loving people is the most powerful and effective way to reach people for Christ. And, uh, and, and what I've found is just that, that what needs to take place is that, that others, that when we're doing life with them, that they would taste heaven on earth. That they would taste it. That we wouldn't just speak to them about it. But even as we heard yesterday in some meetings. That, that, they, would, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good. That it wouldn't just be talk. But there would be a, this demonstration. And sometimes that demonstration might be just you living your lives. Pursuing God. And living the lives of peace. And just trusting Him in everything that you're doing. So I believe deep down. All people are truly longing to know and experience God. I truly believe that. In verse 17 it says, we are looking for a city to come. I think, you know, as believers, we're looking for a city to come. But I believe there's this inner longing in people that don't know Christ yet, that they're, they're looking. They're looking for heaven to invade earth. They just don't realize it. But when they, when they get that opportunity to actually experience it, they're going to go, that's it. That's, that's what it is. My desire this morning, and I'm going to totally wrap up, uh, is to encourage us and to mention to us that God believes in you.
He really does. He believes in you. And I think sometimes we have a hard time believing in ourselves. Believing that, that we can go and make a difference in our, in our culture, in our cities, in our villages, in our towns, in our areas. I think sometimes we have a hard time believing that. But God believes in us. And I think if you can embrace that today and go, yeah, he believes in me. I have the mind of Christ. He's called me to go and create environments where the Spirit of God can fall and have its way. I can, I can do that. I don't know what it's going to look like all the time. I don't know how I'm going to accomplish that all the time, but I'm going to take that step because I have a responsibility. And I can't just allow myself to just keep taking steps back, but I need to pursue his kingdom. And I can't allow myself to just, um, just remain where I'm at. I need to be active in my faith. I can't just, just be seeking God in prayer and reading my word at home and coming to church on Sunday. I need to be hitting the streets on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. So that Sunday just becomes a celebration of what God's done all week long. Right? You know, someone once said to me, and you probably have heard this before, find a need and meet it. Just find a need and meet it. And I think, I think, again, this whole idea of uh, God putting a desire in my heart over 15 years ago to come back to England. I just, I, I truly believe that God put that desire there. And then, and then at some point in that journey, right? It's, I, I came to that place. Yeah, this is a real desire that I have in my heart. But it was just God that put it there. And so I think when you find a need and meet it, it's like, there's a need. I think God is like, He's put that in your heart, that desire to go, oh, there's a need right there. I think so. T- we're, we're always so like, well, I have to be careful that like, I'm not acting on my own here. But I think when you're doing what God, what, what, what pleases the Father, when you're going and you're walking in compassion, and you're walking in kindness, and you're walking in love, and when you're doing those things, that's the heart of God. So you can't go wrong. It's so complicated and yet it's so simple at times. Or we complicated and yet it is so simple. Anyways, so let's find the needs. Places where we can partner with God creating environments that bring heaven to earth so that all people will taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think at the end of the day, that is all of our desire. And I, you know, I'd just like to say we're all in this together. We're all in this together of saying, God, we want to be a church that's making a difference in our community. We want to be a church that creates environments so that your name will be lifted high. And, and, uh, and so I just encourage us this morning, God believes in you. And, and I know the leadership here believe in you. And, uh, and, and yet we as leaders in the church here too, it's like we're, we're not running the show, we're doing this all together. And uh, I hope you feel encouraged this morning. I hope that through this time together, you've gotten a chance to just kind of hear Kyla's heart a little bit more, my heart a little bit more. And, uh, and we obviously would just love to talk to you if you have other questions or thoughts or anything. Um, we want to get to know you guys. We want to know your stories. We want you to know our story. And uh, so we're just thankful to be here and be a part of, of everything that's going on. So let's create environments for the, for the kingdom of God to invade earth. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. 
To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.